Welcome to Bible Idiots, the teaching platform for Pastor Chris Danielson. And today we are turning to the book of 2 Peter, looking at chapter 1. Now he's going to start us out in verses 8 through 15, but eventually he will tie pretty much the entire chapter all together. Is the Bible changing and shaping you today? If not, why? What are the promises and what are the ingredients to a life that is being transformed through Christ? Once again, here's Pastor Chris Danielson, 2 Peter chapter 1, with his message entitled, These Things. Well, I'm excited to bring you the message today. And... Um, I know a lot of us are looking for revival in America, and we are looking for the turning of the tide. And you want to know where I think the revival is going to be found? It's not going to be in your lost neighbor. The revival is going to be found in your brothers and sisters who claim Christ but are not walking with the Lord. That's the revival we need. We need a revival coming out of cultural Christianity or consumer Christianity. You know, what if it is actually the folks who are claiming Christ that is stunting the revival that Jesus is planning to bring to the world before he shuts it all down? You know, what if revival is actually strengthening the remnant to be the remnant church? Individuals living in a deeper state with Jesus Christ. What if that's the deal? Well, I think it is. After watching everybody fight over what to do with Halloween... Before that, it was what to do about Israel. Before that, it's fill in the blank. I mean, soon we have Christians debating whether we should celebrate July 4th in our freedom. And some of them are just hardliners and their minds can't be changed. Let me tell you something. Our God does not change his mind, but his children need to. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that, and that's coming for next week. So this week, I want to draw your attention to a specific passage in 2 Peter. And the translation of two words is either these things or these qualities. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to, the text is actually chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, but we're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read 8 through 15, and I'm going to use these qualities, these things interchangeably. You follow? So I don't know what, what uh, text you've got in front of you, but it's the same point. Uh, let me read in Jesus' name. For these qualities, these things, are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, these things, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, these things, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." 
Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able any time to recall these qualities, these things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let these be your words to your children now. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, it sure is cool to see the room, rooms full. It's, it's, it's great to be here when, when that happens. And um, it, we got a little bit more elbow room now, it seems. So invite your friends to church. And when you invite your friends to church, how many of you refrain, and you don't, this, these, are, these questions are rhetorical, don't shout out or raise your hand, okay? But how many of you maybe don't invite people to church or don't share your faith because you're a li- little bit worried that, that maybe you ain't all that? You're worried that if you put yourself out there, they're going to see your flaws and therefore you can't do that. Let's take it a step further. I want to ask you, rhetorically, how many among you want to be known as a failure in the Christian life? Anyone? I'd like to be a failure. That only applies to you. That's a pretty stupid question, isn't it? I mean, the, the question of I want to be a failure, not raising hands. I'm not talking to Jennifer that way, sorry. Um, no one wants to be known as a failure in the Christian life which is why we tend to not want to put ourselves out there because we know us. Many times we play the comparison game. I compare what I don't know about you to what I know about myself, and I always end up on the short end of the stick. Always. See, because we tend to wear masks and all that other mumbo jumbo, and it's true. But on the same token, when we have this authentic walk with Christ, we soon don't care. We soon don't give a rip. The truth is, every one of us wants to be a successful Christian, and we want to bring glory and honor to God. And if that's not you, I would ask you to examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Because that comes to all of us. It's a burden that we all have. And you can have it either way you want. I mean, after all, we read of men in the Bible who have failed in their Christian experience. There's Demas. Demas is mentioned, I mean, this guy must have really chapped Paul and turned turned from him in a harsh way because he's mentioned in Philemon 1, Colossians 4, and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Then there's Hymenaeus and Alexander in the Timothy letters. Even today, we see it all around us. Some preacher will fall or some good church member will get out of God's will. It happens all the time, and it happens way too often. And in our culture in 2023, it's commonplace It's commonplace to watch Christians bumble and stumble and fight each other over stupidity. My desire is to be the best that I can be for the glory of God. And if I'm guessing that Jesus has touched your heart, I would say that that is what you want as well. Thankfully, Peter gives us the secret to godly living. I'm going to give the secrets all to you today, right from this gospel or this letter. We are going to see some ingredients that, if infused, will ensure our success as Christians. Are you, Chris, are you saying guaranteed? I'm saying guaranteed. As we go through these verses today, I want you to notice that there will be seven ingredients to the authenticity to live for the Lord. 
it's, it's amazing what I'm going to share with you today. But we're going to start out first with the treasure. What's at the end? Point number one is the treasure. What's at the end of this for us? What's the game? You're going to get a list of these things, whatever they are, these qualities. I'm going to give you that list in a minute. And they will produce what in your life? They'll produce four things in your life. They'll produce a guarantee of fruitfulness, a guarantee of spiritual discernment, a guarantee of absolute assurance of salvation, and a guarantee that you will never fall again. That's pretty big doings. Let's start with fruitfulness. That's in verse 8. If these things are found in your life, then you will never be without fruit. But you will always have a branch that's bearing good fruit for the kingdom of God, for God's glory. That implies that you will be a witness for Jesus. And you won't try to come up with a five-point plan for how to share the gospel. Yes, I understand the Romans road is a great way to share the gospel. All those things are legitimate, but it'll be by osmosis. You will just ooze in your being that you are of the Lord. You will be fruitful. Because whatever these things are that we're going to get to in a little bit, they, they have to be pretty great. Because that promise to always bear fruit is pretty, pretty strong. You know, this is the goal, by the way, of the Heavenly Father for your life. John 15, first two verses, but most of the chapter. Also Luke 6, 43, 44. By the way, I'm going to be here as close to noon as possible tomorrow for anybody that wants to join me for lunch. We'll go through all this stuff. And if you, want, if you can't make it but you want to be on a Zoom call, we'll, we'll set that up too. Um, the Zoom call worked out last week for the, the person that was on there. So, um, By the way, sidebar, I was hoping for two or three people. We had 14. It was like Woodstock in here, man. <laughs> for a Bible idiot, I mean, well, Chris, are we taking? No, of course. I, this is what I do. I love talking about this stuff. And so I will be here at noon tomorrow, or as close to it as I can. Uh, if I'm a few minutes late, have some grace. But see, these things will prevent the Christian from being shelved by the Lord. If we, if we get these things that I'm going to share with you in a few minutes, they'll keep us productive and fruitful. Whatever these things are, they must be, some, they must be pretty big, because, I mean, just that one, that one alone would be some pretty, pretty big doings. But let's go on to spiritual discernment. The guarantee of spiritual discernment. It's in verse 9, first part of verse 9 of our text today. Many people have absolutely no spiritual discernment. They are blind and easily led astray. But when these things are active in our lives, we'll be able to see the tricks, the traps, and the temptation of the devil. We'll be able to see the needs of others and not be blinded by our own selfish interests. We won't ever be blind and in spiritual darkness ever again. Now, I don't know about you, but whatever these things are, I want it just for that. What about the other two? The guarantee of absolute assurance of salvation. Everybody among us has doubts from time to time. We all have doubted. Many people are so overcome with their doubts that they've literally become no use to the Lord. Evidently, they lack these things. Because these things then promise us that we can have an assurance of salvation. Who doesn't want an assurance of their salvation? They promise us that we can get to a place where we never doubt again. That's the goal of Jesus in your life, is to get to a place to never doubt again. And, I mean, who amongst us as parents who've given good gifts to our children over here, our children doubting whether we're going to come through with supper tonight. 
They've had supper every night of their life. Do you think that all of a sudden we want to hear our kids say, I doubt mom's going to cook tonight? No. You follow? We, doubting is not a good thing. We have people in our culture that want to celebrate doubting as if it's some sort of virtue. It is not. I tell you, you know, Jude verse 23 says, have mercy on those who doubt. You have mercy on them. But is that a good thing? No. I tell you, these things are really something if it can give you that assurance of salvation. Because that's what Jesus wants for all of us. I want to be secure in the knowledge that I'm saved in spite of my loserness. Last thing that's guaranteed is you're never going to fall again. The verse says plainly that these things, if practiced in our lives, will ever keep us from falling. Now, how many have fallen as a Christian? Every single one of us has fallen from time to time. But these things promise us a fall-free life. If I can get my hands around these things, I want them. And I want you to want them. Because I want them really bad because I never want to fall again. So whatever these things are, they're, they're worth going after is all I can tell you. So let's review. These things that we're about to get into will guarantee that we will always be fruitful, that I will always have spiritual discernment, that I will never doubt my salvation, and that I will never fall as a Christian. So then let's get into what these things are because they must be really something. They must be bada bing, bada boom, the show-stopping number, right? I'm guessing that when we get into looking at these things, we're going to find out they're probably big things, hard things, probably you know expensive things. They're probably just outside the reach of people like me and you. They're probably only reserved for super saints like Paul and Peter and the, and the boys. So let's see what they are. Let's, let's actually go to point number two today. The ingredients. These are the ingredients. Here they come. Here come these things. There are seven of them. And let's see how big and bad they really are. The first one, it's found in verse 5. It's called virtue or moral uprightness or holiness or goodness, depending on the translation that you have in front of you. The word there in the original language means excellent living, and I do not know about you, but I was looking for something maybe a little bigger than virtue. Um, but in one word, God is telling you and me that if we live by the Bible and live morally pure lives, that he then guarantees those four invaluable gifts we talked about just a second ago. See, moral purity refers to every aspect of our lives, physical, mental, spiritual. Purity must be pursued if we expect his blessings on our lives. Now, like everything else, there will always be a counterfeit that comes up. Pursuing these things is not behavior modification and putting your little goody two-shoes on. This is different. This is having moral uprightness. This is having a holiness. And you will find out by the end of this message, a lot of it ain't coming from you. It's coming from the Spirit directly to you. So maybe the next one will even be a little better than this one. Let's go on to uh, B. I lettered them A through G. It's seven of them. Knowledge. Knowledge, literally an understanding of the truth and how to live it out. What a letdown. I mean, everybody gets knowledge, right? This word is telling us that we can have all those things discovered by just having a sound knowledge of the sound doctrines of Christianity and then applying them to our lives and living them out. Duh. Dr. Obvious. But it's true. What we are to do is this. We are to get into the word. 2 Timothy 2.15. We are to let the word then get into us. 
Jeremiah 15, 16, and 1 Peter 2, 2. We are to get into the word. We are to let the word get into us. That's, that's nothing special. That's not some incredible revelation that only a handful of folks get. That's for the common man, knowledge. Maybe the next one will be something pretty big. C, temperance or self-control. Temperance or self-control. Temperance is a word that means self-control. That's pretty another doctor obvious right there. Most translations do say self-control. It implies that I do not do as I please. I control myself and I do as the Lord pleases. This again can be converted into behavior modification where I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I've got to just be a good little boy and girl and then earn little kudos that Jesus loves me. That's not it. It's that God gives you the ability to control yourself in situations. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says this. I'll put it up on the screen for you. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Now, this is one of the fruits of the Spirit, also in Galatians 5.23. So, it, God is, what is he, is he talking to us? Yeah, he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to say, that self-control is important. You know, this has an application in every area of our lives. And often we lack those four benefits we talked about earlier because we lack self-control. There are, several, there are three areas I want to just point out about self-control real quick, Okay. We need to practice temperance and self-control in the area of temptations, tempers, and tongues. Let's start with tongues, our tongues. Gossip and telling another person off. Some people are doubting their salvation, being unfruitful, falling into sin, and have no spiritual discernment because they simply cannot control their tongues. This has Danielson written all over it. James 3, 1 through 12 is a great passage. Also, Proverbs 26, 20, and then James 1, 26. Controlling your temper is next. And some of us have a problem with temper and tongue being together. I'm one of those people. Flying off the handle, getting mad or getting even. Some people lack the blessings because they cannot control their temper. Temper can get you into big trouble. Ephesians 4, 26. Now, Never think that holding a grudge or trying to get even will help you. It will not. When you do these things, you have assumed the place of God. And then our temptations. Everyone is tempted. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it tells us that the temptations we suffer are just common to every, everybody. So don't think that you've got this special temptation, the devil's really out to get you and you're tempted a lot stronger than everybody else. No, when you and I fall to the basic temptations, we're falling to just the run-of-the-mill BS that comes into our life, and we fall. And temptations and tempers and tongues all kind of work together, and it causes us to really have to go to the Lord to get self-control. And sometimes it comes in stages. I told this guy off one time, and he tried to play this card on me. And I said, well, look, this is improving because I didn't scream heretic and punch you in the throat, so we're making progress. It's a journey. 
And some of you are going to look at this and you're going to say, Chris, you and I have that same issue. We've had that issue. That's why we go back to Jesus. And it's called sanctification. He grows us in these areas. And the first area you will see is our next one, letter D of the seven, and that is patience or steadfastness. Patience or steadfastness. I mean, everything we've talked about so far is common knowledge, if not common practice. So when you get to patience and steadfastness, this might be where the magic elixir is, right? It means endurance. The patient person is one not swerved from his devotion to God, even by the greatest trials. Many are suffering from the loss of the four great blessings because they allow the slightest little wind to blow them off course. And you can be an oak in the wind, an oak in the wind, an oak in the wind, and then wake up one day and all of a sudden your strength is gone and now you're leaf in the wind and you're just being tossed to and fro. And God says, come back to me and I will plant you like an oak in the wind again. Now, there's a scholar who told the story of the vine clinging to the tree during a severe storm. When the wind is at their back, they are merely pressed more tightly against the tree. When the wind is in their face, they are sheltered from the storm by the bulk of the tree. Whatever the circumstances you may find yourself in, Jesus always can be the tree for you. I thought that was a great analogy. Because when we're clinging to the tree, you know, grafted in a la John 15, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's amazing. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this. It says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What I'm saying today is this. If you want to have these four great blessings we mentioned earlier, then you must have endurance to stop allowing every little thing to knock you down. And that can be enhanced, like incredibly enhanced, by having other people around you that are like-minded, that want to cling to that tree. The Christian life is not for individuals. The Christian life is for a collective. The Bible tells that over and over and over again. All right, let's go to letter E. This has got to be the big thing, right? Godliness. This word literally means walking in view of his greatness. It has reference to the person who has every action and attitude yielded to the fear of the Lord. This person spends his life in a state of God-likeness. He spends his day serving God and serving men and women. Many are in doubt, in sin, in trouble because they reached a place, listen to me now, they reached a place in their walk with God where they simply just didn't care anymore. They got to that point where they just didn't give a rip, including what God thinks about anything. Because if he knew what I was going through, he wouldn't blah, blah, blah. They end up then going about doing whatever they want in regards to the Bible, church, prayer, sin. Self is now the motivation and not the fear of the Lord. These people have forgotten that God speaks loudly and carries a big stick. 
the biggest fear I have for myself and I have for you and your walk with Christ is that someday would come where you don't care what God thinks and you don't feel him disciplining you or changing you or trying to draw you back. Because when that happens, really double down on the examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Revelation 3.19 puts it this way. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Boom shakalaka. There it is. Repent. God rebukes us. What is that? That means God's correcting us. What is repenting? Repenting is changing your mind. It's changing your mind that on Halloween some people cannot participate because that's what God's called them to do because there's some sort of satanic activity in the back of their mind that Halloween raises up, so they need to avoid it. And then there's others, like my wife, who need to redeem the time. We always tried to get big bars for the children and put gospel tracks around them. Why? Because if you're going to give out a gospel track on Halloween, it better be a big bar. How many kids don't know where the big bar house is on their block? They all know where it is. That puts Jesus up on a higher level. You know, we used to have this big spider in the fake web, and underneath it was a sign that said, um, God created everything that creeps upon the, on the earth, Genesis, whatever. And then another tombstone would say R.I.P., and it would say, you can rest in peace if you know Jesus, Romans, whatever. So our whole sidewalk was littered with Scripture. That's called redeeming the time. Now, I've met people who legitimately, that's not for them. They need to be over here and not celebrate Halloween. The point is, is that it was another event that's been hijacked by Satan. It was the eve before All Saints Day. Do not let the culture steal from you what God is calling you to do. And if he rebukes you, and if you're under any kind of discipline, turn and change your mind. That's hard for people when we live in a culture where everybody's their own God. And so it's hard to change our mind. But the person who practices godliness is the one who understands that God is truly an awesome God. They fear the Lord and they strive at every turn to please him and him alone. You know, we haven't even gotten to the point in Daniel. I know after seven messages, or in David, I know after seven messages you'd think maybe we'd get there. But when David, watching the Bible as we get closer into these next messages coming up, When he sins and does some really stupid stuff, he immediately says, I sinned against God. If some spouse goes out and does something stupid, do they feel like they're sinning against God? Or do they feel like they're sinning against their spouse? Well, it's both. Let's not be stupid. But do you think about it in terms of, I'm not going to do these things. I'm going to have to start practicing self-control and all these other things because I don't want to disappoint the God who blesses me, who I walk with every day, who shines his light into my heart every day. They realize that it doesn't matter what others think as long as God is pleased. The person enjoys those four great blessings promised earlier. Even if circumstances drag you down and give you the sad face, you still have God. And when no one's around and it's just you and him, It's well with you because you know God holds you in his grip. All right, we only got two to go. Letter F, brotherly affection, brotherly kindness. Philadelphia is the Greek word. Literally, it's just plain old brotherly love. 
If Christians would practice the second great commandment found in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, they would experience those four great blessings that we all want so gladly. It's no wonder some people doubt their salvation and are in trouble in their walk with the Lord. After all, all they do is bicker and fight with others. That is not the Lord's way. Now, again, don't blow this out of proportion. Sometimes you have to stand firm and you have to have discussions with people and you have to let them know that this is the truth and we're not going to bend on the truth. And so that sometimes people think turn that into bickering. That's not the Lord's way. You stand on the truth and you try to do it in love as best you can, but we live in a culture where we have to bottom line it sometimes and sometimes that comes across a little harsh. Remember the lesson of 1 John 4, 20 and 21. I'll put it up on the screen. There we go. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen and cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And by the way, this does not mean your unsaved coworker. That is not Jesus would never ever use the term brother, nor would the Apostle John use the term brother when it wasn't somebody that was part of the family. So we're talking about other Christians now, loving together with other Christians. Why do you think that Satan gets his jollies by splitting up churches and splitting up marriages? Because that's where the love is found. All right, here's the last one. Here comes the big one. This has to be the show-stopping number. We waited the whole message. This is the thing. Uh, this, is this the one that's going to actually guarantee the four great blessings spoken of earlier? Letter G is charity. It's in verse 7 of our text today. Love, good old-fashioned love, agape love. He is referring to that self-sacrificing, never-ending, all-encompassing love that Jesus exhibited before he came to earth to die for sin. It's that very same love that God desires to see lived out in our lives today. It is also for the lack of this love that many do not have the peace and assurance they desire. Sidebar text to look that up is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. The lack of love. When the life is lived in pure agape love, God will be first, others will be second, and self will be relegated to the third or last place. And you don't put yourself there. It happens by practicing these seven things. The single motivation of life will be to manifest the love of Christ to all the brothers and sisters. Are you disappointed with these things? Were you hoping for some big thing that you could make stand out as a big-time Christian or just give you that, that spine of steel we talked about a couple weeks ago? Well, I don't want you to be because these seven things are absolutely the bomb. That is the ingredients. That's the magic elixir. When you get right down to it, these are big things. In fact, they cannot be produced in the life of an unbeliever. They can't. All seven cannot be there. Well, I know some unbelievers who are charitable and they seem to have love and everything. Look deeper. I'm here to witness to you that the love of Christ, the Holy Spirit in our life, is 
how we are able to even attempt these things. And the lost person cannot fake these things for very long before they'll be exposed. So if any of these are present in your life, rejoice. Rejoice. And when's the best time to rejoice? Sunday morning at 9.45, right here in this room or right there online. And yes, every day. Now, in verse 5, I want you to notice another word, just as a little bonus. I want you to notice the word supplement. In the King James verses, uses the word add. The word means to supply generously. It does not teach here that we... Now listen now, this is the key to the whole message. It does not teach here that we are first to get faith, and then, you know, then we uh, perfect that by adding virtue, and then add knowledge, etc., etc., etc. No, what it means is that these things are to be practiced as a whole, and every one of them is to be active at the same time. So don't pat yourself on the back if you have three, out of, three or four out of the seven. It's not time to pour Gatorade over your head and claim victory. See, God wants us to have them all operating in our lives all the time. And that takes his strength to accomplish. We cannot conjure this up in our own strength. The Spirit does so much when we are sensitive to it, and you can have all seven cooking on one day, and the next day you lose a few because circumstances change. I used to say, yeah, you know, the Spirit fills up my bucket, but I leak. And I gotta be refilled. And so the Spirit does a lot of this. It accomplishes a lot of it when we are sensitive to it. So let's bring it home. Now we know what these things are and what they can do for us. The final question today is this. Are all of them or any of them present in your life today? Straight up. If you found yourself lacking in one or two or in all seven, then the place to deal with that is right here, right now, by going to Jesus face-to-face and asking him, let your heart cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your heart cry out to the King of Kings, to Yeshua, our Lord. Because as for me, I want to always be fruitful, to always have spiritual discernment, to never doubt my salvation, and to never fall as a Christian. Therefore, I have to seek the Lord to strengthen me in all of these things. How about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you and praise you today. We are so grateful that you are strengthening us day by day, hour by hour, in the times in which we live. And Lord, I just ask that you would touch the hearts of your children now. Just strengthen them in these things as we grow together in our sanctification to live out the journey you've called us on. Oh, we praise your name today, Jesus. And let us sing this last song, whatever it is, with just joy in our hearts. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at freshroadmedia.com. 
We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.